Hi, welcome to the Life Expansion After 50 podcast. This episode begins the process of connecting selected cognitive biases to the ones that derail progress in the seven fitness areas. Now, first to introduce the topic that got me interested in cognitive biases over 30 years ago, and that was the book Influenced by Robert Cialdini. He has since written another book titled Persuasion. And if you're involved in sales, commerce, or leadership, I recommend reading both. Uh, They each serve a different purpose, so it's hard to say which one to read if you're only going to read one. But if you're in sales, I think it would be influence. If you're a business owner or leader, I would say persuasion because it looks at the broader topic of priming. Now, in the book titled Influence, Robert covered six factors of influence. However, when I heard him speak, he introduced the topic as seven factors of unconscious influence. He also writes about the seventh one in the book, but does not give it a title. Rather, he introduces it under the chapter Weapons of Influence. I was always kind of an awkward fit. The six are reciprocation, commitment and consistency, social proof, rapport, Robert calls it liking, authority, and scarcity. The one that he opened with is called because frame, and it goes something like this. So he did a lot of double blind testing, a lot of researchers who were hired to do a research project, but thought they were researching something else, not realizing they were actually subjects. He did a lot of ingenious tactics like that to to get some good data. But in this case, there were people lined up at a copier machine. He had a person go up to the line and say, would you mind if I get in front of you? I'm double parked and I need to make some copies. Then he had the person go up to them and say, would you mind if I get in front of you? Because I'm double parked and I need to make some copies. It doesn't seem like much, but by slipping the word because in there, the compliance rate went something from like in the 40s to the 60s, mid 60s, in terms of percent of people who let them ahead. Then he had a third time, the person walked up and said, would you mind if I get in front of you because I need to make some copies? Notice he put in the word because, but left out, I'm double part. So even though there was no reason, no double part, it was only two or three percentage points off. So if the first one, if the, the second one, because I'm double parked and I need to make some copies with 66%, if I recall. The next one was something like 62 or 63%. Only a slippage of a couple of percentage points when he took out the words double parked. So in other words, no reason at all, and the people still complied, at least in the, at least in the mid-60 percentage. It's kind of unbelievable, but I'll tell you as a leader, I certainly incorporated this little word when communicating. I never did any research, but after hundreds of sales and as many interactions with team members, I can tell you things go a lot better with the word because than not. Now for the remaining six. They're not cognitive biases in the strictest sense. However, there are cognitive biases that are connected to them. In other words, the reason why they work, and Robert calls it a click were, as in turning on a computer, the reason why they work is because there's a cognitive bias at play. If you've been listening to these episodes, you'll notice I approach them from different angles. That's because I want to keep it as a, as a high cognitive activity. And I think the more ways I talk about the topic, the more likely it is to stick. When I'm done with the series, I'll have covered more than, a, more than two dozen, and that makes it kind of difficult to remember them. However, I do think people will recognize the ones that are more relevant to themselves and certainly will remember the conversations as that there's something at play there. Again, once you can label it, 
it's much easier for you to handle it. One that shows up over and over in a variety of contexts is confirmation bias. It's also the first one I covered. That's the one where if you hear three things that are undeniably true in your opinion, you'll automatically believe the fourth and that source will move into trusted status. And it would take around 11 counterexamples before you begin to doubt that source. And we see this in advertising, politics, certainly from con men and more. So while social proof, reciprocity, consistency, and scarcity are not classified as cognitive biases, as I said, they do fall under the umbrella of social influence and persuasion techniques. The because frame. Description is that people are more likely to comply with a request or suggestion if they are provided with a reason even if the reason is not particularly strong or relevant. The cognitive element at play is the justification bias. An example would be using the word because when making a request, even if the reason provided is relatively common or expected. For instance, can I use the photocopier? I need to make copies because it's my task. The next one is reciprocity. People feel obligated to return favors or gestures in kind. The cognitive element here is actually called norm of reciprocity. The example is free samples or trial periods or giving something valuable before asking for something in return. In the book, Robert used some experiments where he would have a person, again, they thought they were there researching something. So they're watching a film and watching other videos, but one was a subject and one would just randomly get up, say, I'll be right back, goes out, brings back a soda for his partner there and he has a soda for himself. Of course, the person drank the soda and they were appreciative. This, they did multiple iterations of this. The next day, while they're still on the same project, the person who bought the Coke or the soda would ask if he could borrow the other person's car. And some high percentage of time, the person said yes. So in reciprocity for them buying a soda, they were willing to loan the car. Now, of course, they had to do it the other way and see without buying the soda, without going out of the room. And sometimes I believe they bought the soda, a soda for themselves, but didn't bring one for the, the other guy or the other researcher or subject. The amount of people who loaned, who agreed to, to loan the car was cut in half. So again, just the act of buying a soda for their research partner, that was enough to get the person to agree to loan the car twice as many times as without. The next one is commitment and consistency. Once people commit to an idea or behavior, they're more likely to stick to it. Now, the cognitive element at play is commitment bias. So an example would be getting individuals to make small commitments can lead to larger commitments over time. So in the research, what Robert did was he had people go out to a neighborhood and ask folks to wear a pin that had to do with supporting cancer research. Then a few days later, another person would go there and ask if they would donate to cancer research and again, almost double the amount of people agreed to donate money based on that prime of agreeing to wear that pin compared to the group that did not have the prime of the, the wearing the pin. So these are amazing results. And even if you, you know, cut it out and say, yeah, well, that's because they talked about cancer a few days early. Even if you cut the, the difference in half, it's still very, very significant. I encourage you to read the book. And then social proof. We hear a lot about this one in marketing. Social proof, people tend to follow the actions of others, assuming that those actions are correct in a given situation. I know when I was learning sales presentations as much as 40 years ago, you know, we always talked about this doctor was using the product or service or, 
you know, people in the neighborhood. And, and if we had a name, that's why referrals are so powerful. If you have a referral, you can triple your closing ratio just by having, uh, by talking to referrals. The cognitive element at play here is called the bandwagon effect. So for example, online reviews, testimonials, or the popularity of a product or service can influence decisions. In this one, Robert Cialdini had a person lying on the ground and people were walking by this person. This is busy city street. So it's, and this was way before the homeless epidemic that we're seeing in the United States. But even then, it was fairly common for somebody to walk past a person laid out on the street in the city, making an assumption maybe they were drunk or drugs or something like that. But anyway, he, again, using these multi-research levels, he would have a person walk by. This was a plant. Plant would walk by and not do anything, just keep on walking. And the large number of people followed its suit and they just kept walking. But when the plant stooped down to help, a large percentage of people stooped down to help. It's a very simple exercise, but he tested it in multiple, in multiple formats or configurations. Social proof works. And then there's always the Genovese, that example from New York, I want to say it was in the 70s, how many people just, nobody helped, went in to help. She was being attacked and no one, people looked out their window. They even talked to the police later, but no one thought to help and they were looking for somebody else. And, and so the study would tell you that if one person went out to help, Others probably would have as well. It's a crazy, crazy uh, area, social proof. The next one is scarcity. People value things more when they perceive them as scarce or in limited supply. The cognitive element at play here is loss aversion. A an example would be limited time offers, exclusive deals, or emphasizing scarcity to drive higher demand. In the book, there was a, <laughs> and this was, kind of, uh, I think, a little bit on the edge, because most of Robert Cialdini's stuff, he's talking about doing, not introducing artificial factors, right? Or not, art not introducing the factors in an artificial way. But, and I don't remember if he was doing this study or if it was an example that came up, but the, there was a particular jewelry store that was trying to sell a particular uh, product, and they tried lowering the price and it just wasn't moving. And what they ended up doing was rise, raising the price, but removing them from the shelves. So there was like one or two left and they started selling at the higher price because people thought they were scarce. And this is without saying anything, not even adding any additional information, just removing some from the shelf, leaving one or two at a time. So this is a little bit on the, like I said, a little over the line in terms of it's not, is it is it ethical? But the point again is how easily scarcity can come into play. Now the next one is rapport, or as Robert calls it in the book, liking. And this is where people are more likely to be influenced by those they like or feel a connection with. Building rapport, emphasizing shared interests can enhance persuasion. Anyone who's in sales knows that they often talk about find something around the person's home or office that you know, you can talk about, especially if you have something in common. The cognitive element at play here is similarity bias. The example would be marketing campaigns that depict relatable scenarios, use familiar faces, or showcase shared values to create a sense of liking and connection with the audience. There's something else that I just read about not too long ago, and that is this concept of othering. And as early as toddler age, uh, when they had kid, these babies watch puppets 
And in some cases, the puppets liked the same kind of cereal that the child, that the toddler liked. And in other cases, the puppet disliked the cereal that the child liked. And then later, when they had the child play with those puppets, they were mean and harmful to the puppet that did not like their cereal. This was an interesting study because it, it shows basically this fan behavior that we have, but also like in politics and religion, we've had, think about the genocides that have happened over, over the centuries where people killed just because the others were not like them. And we're now seeing that it happens as early as toddlers. So this reciprocation is, is huge. There's also, shortly before this book was written, they discovered mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are not covered anywhere in the book, so it's very possible the awareness was not there prior to that, but the mirror neurons is how we can feel empathy. Now, again, 1980 may seem like a long time ago, but with the brain being, majority of the brain being over a million years old, 40, 50 years is infancy, still it's where it's infancy in terms of learning some of these these concepts. The next, the next one is authority. Now, individuals are more inclined to follow the advice or directives of someone perceived as an authority figure or expert in a particular field. The cognitive element is authority bias. An example would be influencers, industry experts, or celebrities endorsing a product can lead to increased trust and acceptance by the audience. So we all know that for decades, they've used celebrities in ads to help sell the products and services. Now, some of you may remember seeing that experiment where a guy in a white lab coat was directing a researcher, actually as a subject, a research subject, to apply voltage every time a, the subject, every time the subject had a wrong answer. So in other words, if the subject behind glass got a wrong answer, this person who thought they were they're doing the research, but they're actually a subject, they were supposed to give the person a shock. And now they were told beforehand, do not go above this certain number because it could be lethal. When the lab coat guy would tell them to go higher, I think all but one would go higher, even though they would look and say, but you know, with the, the look on their face, but it's supposed to be lethal. So just do it. It's okay, just do it. The authority of that white lab coat was enough to make them give what they, were, what they believed was a lethal shock. Now, the person who's behind the glass was an actor and there was no shocks going on at all, or maybe just a very, very minor one so that they knew when the shock was coming. But they were acting like they were being hurt and it still did not change this person's uh, behavior. They would still give those high shocks. I, very, very, I, I saw that one 50 years ago. That one was, was pretty amazing. I think the study was actually done in the 50s, if I recall. Maybe you could Google white lab coat shock experiment. As I said, these are not necessarily cognitive biases, but I did connect the dots and we'll come in next week and we'll start talking about some cognitive biases that interfere with the relationship area of the seven fitness areas. And I'll leave it there. In the next episode, we'll start moving deeper into relationship area. Take care.